Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Race Tech. Pulp 21 is the code to save with your work at Race Tech. So get a discount on parts and labor and all sorts of things from the folks at Race Tech by telling them when you listen to Pulp MX. Get your suspension uh, right, as Jim will talk about in this podcast. Getting suspension uh, handling right is very, very important for your motorcycle. Thank you to Race Tech. They can do that for you. They can get your weight and or speed dialed on that motorcycle of yours uh, by by modifying the suspension. Motors as well. They support a lot of privateers. They do a lot for the sport. Pulp 21 is the code to save with Racetech, Racetech.com. Now, on to the podcast. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show, presented by Maxis Tires, Renthal, Motorsport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,700 podcasts delivered with over 17 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews, and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Jim Felt. Really, really good one here, and I'm stoked to be able to talk to him. Thanks to Fly Racer for making this podcast happen, and the folks at RacerX also. Subscribe to RacerX Magazine. There's things in there that you'll never, ever read online, and we put a lot of work into them. Also, thank you to uh, Fly Racing, man, when it comes to their 2022 gear. They have lines of gear and colors and styles that will suit anybody all across the board. Their Formula Helmet is a game changer in the technology of helmets. Look into it yourself. It's got the Rion technology. It's got Conehead EPS. It's really, really something special. The formula folks got it going on there. Uh, and, uh, man, they did a good job, whoever designed those that, that thing. Flyracing.com. Go to motorsport.com. Check it out, and uh, you'll see all the uh, latest and greatest from those guys. And, again, thanks to the Fly Racing guys for the, all the support over the years. Man, great company, real enthusiasts over there, and, uh, man, they do a good job. So thank you, Fly Racing. Flyracing.com. Also, thanks to Maxxis Tires, MXSTs, developed by Jeremy McGrath and uh, used by A-Ray and Jace Kessler. Kate Clayson's going to be on them now this year, the SGB Maxxis Honda team. So please check that out. Mountain bike tires are phenomenal. They absolutely crush the market in the uh, mountain bike world. So Maxxis.com, light truck tires, uh, trailer tires. Please check them out and uh, go to your local dealer and uh, order some UTV stuff too. Very, really, really popular in UTVs, and they do really well in that, although I don't have a UTV, but this is what I've been told by UTV people. Uh, also, thanks to the folks at Renthal, your global leader in innovation since 1969. Renthal has been uh, continuing to push tremendous products on the, the race teams and, and riders everywhere from their 7-8 bar, which all started it back in the day. David Thorpe was the first one to bring the 7-8 bar to American Honda. And since then, they've never been on another bar. Renthal.com and uh, Fat Bar, Twin Wall Bar, uh, Fat Bar 36. Please check it out. Renthal.com. They got grips. They got chains. They got sprockets. Remember those grooves on the sprockets that Renthal came out with and they were self-cleaning? They're still on there. That blew everybody's wig back. The Twin Wall Bar 
blew everybody's wig back. Renthal.com for more information on that and uh, motor, uh, motorsport.com. And Cobalt Links on board with us as well. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later. But this podcast was uh, a long time in the making. I've tried to get a hold of Jim a few times. He's never been uh, receptive to do it. Well, he's never gotten back to me. And Johnny O'Mara told me that he probably wouldn't do it. He wasn't sure. Uh, just Jim's d- doing well in life and, and didn't need to do a podcast about you know things that he had done, whether it was being this legendary mechanic or starting this bicycle company and then selling it for a bunch of money and being a leader in, in bicycle uh, equipment as well. So I was stoked when he finally got a hold of me. I actually texted him some photos of one of his bikes from the Honda warehouse of the video I did with Dave Arnold. And I think that probably got him interested. And then I said, Osho vouches for me, which, uh, I mean, I'm sure Osho would vouch for me, but I just, I said that without really, truly getting Osho's vouching, quote unquote. But uh, Osho did give me his number. So, uh, and then that was it. Jim responded. We took a couple days to get, get it together and, uh, did this podcast, man. Really, really great. He comes from a different era of mechanics, man. The, these guys back then, look, I was sort of in the middle, right? The the guys after me really are parts changers. Like, they're just bolting on suspension and motors. And they, they do great stuff. Don't get me wrong. But there's specialization on the factory teams now. And the guys now are just bolting the bikes together. In my day, I did the motors, didn't do the suspension, didn't do the modifications, uh, but did my own motors and changed my own tires at Yamaha and built the bikes. And then when I was a privateer guy, I did do suspension oil, uh, and I did do motors back then. And then, But the guys in Jim's era before me, I mean, they, as you listen, they, they modify frames, they move suspension around, they, they modify the motors. I mean, these guys were phenomenal. They were doing all sorts of stuff and keeping their box van running all along the country in this crazy, insane driving schedule. So... These guys, the guys early on, McKeith McCarty's and Cliff White's and and, and, and Jim Feltz, I can name them on, uh, uh, Berlute, Skip, uh, those guys really, really uh, were something special for sure. So I'm stoked to do this podcast with uh, Jim Felt and get to the bottom of everything. We'll have to do a part two down the road a little bit, right? Uh, all right, enough of me talking. Fly Racing, flyracing.com. Please check them out. Racer X, of course. Maxis, Renthal, Cobolinks, motorsport.com. Here's Jim Felt and I chatting about a lot of things. And now on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, it's my pleasure, and I'm super stoked to bring you a podcast with a very, very interesting guy, former factory mechanic for a bunch of teams, as well as Johnny O for his entire career. It's Jim Felt. What's up, Jim? How are you, man? I'm well. Good morning. How are you, Steve? Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, I talked to Johnny about doing this a couple years ago, and he's like, I don't know if Jim would, would do one of these podcasts, so I'm stoked you took the time to do it. Oh, no worries. Yeah, like I, uh, uh, most people know, I typically don't do these things, but I thought, well, for Johnny, no worries, always. Yeah, and that's nice. That's awesome. I got a lot of questions for you about a lot of things. Uh, obviously, you're a huge name in the bicycle world. Uh, we know you started Felt Bikes and sold it off, and I guess you, I'm, I'm sure you saw the news that KTM uh, bought Felt uh, from the people that bought it from you. Do you. When you see that go on, when you see a transaction like that, are you totally removed and didn't know what was going on and what's your reaction to seeing your baby you know sold to somebody like ktm well i think first of all i think that um you know typically when typically especially bike companies when they get sold they they don't always stay at one home Mm -hmm. that's number one and then two um it depends on what that buyer is going to do with the company so you know rosinol uh, great people at the company. I mean, just fantastic people. I think their vision was a little bit um, 
far out there as mm-hmm. far as what was reality in the bike industry and how the bike industry works. And so I think it didn't come together for them. With the, the, they didn't utilize the name and the things that I had created from the beginning. They turned it, wanted to turn it into a, um, more of an e-bike company and, and, and that at, to, to begin with. And then secondly, um, KTM getting it um, is huge news because yeah. it, I think it goes back to my original roots with motocross. If you kind of if you kind of look at where the brand came from and where I came from, it mm-hmm. started with motocross, and then my passion with Johnny and and racing turned into us racing bicycles. And and uh, next thing you know, I was designing and building bicycles. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and so but so the, there's a definitely crossover between motocross. And the bicycle industry there always has been, mm-hmm. especially from when mountain bikes came about. Um, but now, uh, probably even more so, and I think that KTM has a huge opportunity to take this, take the ball and run with it now. Actually, because they're, you know, I know uh, Stefan is huge into racing, uh, which I know they're gonna do good with the racing side of it as well as the technology they have in suspension and even in e-bike stuff now is going to be huge for felt are they going to change the name do we know is it i know it just happened uh, i i think they're going to yeah it just happened a week ago so yeah. uh not that i know of okay. you know i mean yeah. i i did know this was happening um but i you know like i said yeah. i i'm hoping the best for them i mean they've got the they've got the ball now they've got to run with it what they do with it is uh totally up to them right right and it's ironic that they have a ktm bicycle but they can't get that name back from some company they licensed it to back in the 90s or something right yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that happens i know what that's like <laughs> i think that that's funny though. i went through a little of that myself oh you did okay yeah i thought it was hilarious because i'm like ktm has a bike they just need that name back but they can't seem to get it so it's kind of yeah right. yeah um you you created a bike company a super high-end boutique kind of uh, high quality bikes a lot of work in the wind tunnel a lot of triathlon bikes a lot of stuff like that um and you grew it into this into this into this thing that that was pretty damn successful how do you know and i've got a couple buddies like this that sold their companies you know for a lot of money and then a the people that they sold it to they didn't run it the way that person liked and they had the exit stage left right that happens a lot or b they completely divest themselves and get a little a little sad a little melancholy about you know not having this thing to work up and drive them every single day for to get bigger and better which guy were you to letting this thing go? Uh, um, how was it for you? How was that transition? How, how what was the decision behind it and, and all of that? I mean, again, I've, seen, I've a couple of my close friends have done this and none of them have lasted long and, and a couple of them regretted it, you know? So yeah, where are you at with selling this thing? Um, honestly, it's a little bit of, I wouldn't say it's a little bit of both of those, but there's a, there was quite a few factors for me. I mean, it wasn't really at the time that we decided to sell. I, it, so I had built felt into a pretty successful racing company. And then I, I kind of hit a plateau in my career as far as, uh, what I was able to do on my own. And at the same time, I got approached by a couple of pretty big wigs in the bike industry, Bill Durian and Michael Muleman, um, and they wanted to build a brand in themselves. They kind of wanted to go up to the next level of themselves for themselves as well. So I had, uh, you know, it, and and we actually it all happened in my living room up here in Northern California, 
we just happened to all meet because we were all in town mm-hmm. for one reason or another, and we all met in my living room, and we asked what we wanted to do, and our visions were exactly the same when we did that. But I think visions change. You know, mm-hmm. I had this huge name in racing and from the motocross days and in what I had built in the, in the bicycle racing world and and uh, my engineering background and yada, 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 design background. And then Bill During had this ability, my American partner, Bill During, had this ability. Uh, he was former vice president of GT Bicycles, and he was responsible for sourcing all the parts around the world for bikes. So we had huge connections in Taiwan and China, mm-hmm. all over the world to source the parts to get the to get everything to us. And then Michael Muehlman had international distribution around the world and was a very successful German distributorship in mm-hmm. Germany. And so the three of us had a lot to bring into it, and it started off real good. And then, you know, after 20-something years, yeah. business becomes becomes the bigger you get, the more complicated it gets. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> It just, it just, um, it was time. I think for my partners, they were, they were fr- frustrated with, I think, one another, on how things were going. The industry was changing, and they wanted to sell. And uh, I didn't want to sell, to be honest with you, at the time. Okay. And so when the when the opportunity with Rosenall came up, I just said, you know what, guys, I think I had had enough. I, I really don't need this anymore. I'm gonna just exit. So yeah. I, I decided just to, to, bow out at the time. Um, yeah, uh, interesting. Um, now, I, I, I worked with John R. and Bob Oliver and Keith McCarty at the Yamaha, yeah. of course, and, and, and Skip and Norfolk and, and Tony Berluti live here in Vegas, so I see them a lot. And, and you know, I kind of I love the old stories. And these guys tell me that you were maybe the most gnarly trainer of all the mechanics back in the day on bicycles. So the, the point I'm getting at is bicycles have always been there for you, huh? Like even when you... Before you ever dreamt of starting a bicycle company, you were training, you were doing a lot on bicycles. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting story, and it goes back to, you know, I mean, um, when I worked for Brock Glover um, back in the Yamaha days, Brock was really, nobody knew that at the time, but Brock was really into bikes mm-hmm. and, and, and rode a bike a lot and trained a lot and was a very good cyclist at the time. And... Um, and then when I started working with Johnny, that's about the time where all of a sudden they discovered that fitness mattered <laughs> right. in motocross yeah. and, and that uh, it wasn't just your ability, but how long you could last out there. And, and so Johnny started training. He started with running and stuff, and, and we lived in the same town in Simi Valley. And I had known Johnny. I knew Johnny as a kid growing up and um, just, just from people we knew. And interestingly enough, he started running and stuff like that, and he, he actually laid a bet with me that I couldn't run a mile. Okay. <laughs> because I was, in those days, we're talking, those were the days when everybody was partying, yeah, and, yeah. you know, you got into town, you went to the bars, yeah. and everything like that. So he was trying to wake me up and said, you know, hey, Jim, you want to live like that, or do you want to live fit? Yeah. And so he bet me, I forget what it was, like a hundred bucks or something like that, <laughs> that I couldn't run a mile. And I was a cocky young guy at the time. And I said, come on, bring it on. I'll kick your butt. And, yeah. and uh, we went and ran and I made it, I don't even know if I made it a half a mile before <laughs> I'm almost puking my guts up. And I had these ridiculous black knee socks on and, you know, my gym shorts from high school. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it, it was pretty embarrassing for me. Anyhow, I lost that bet. Yeah. And that I never looked back after that. It hit me so hard that at my age I couldn't do that. Yeah. 
And so I just, yeah. and Johnny actually was my mentor. I mean, he helped me every step of the way. And just mm-hmm. said, you know, Jim, if you have to walk, walk a mile a day. If you have to, you know, in a week, you'll jog a mile. After that, you'll run a mile. So I just started off slow. You know, miles became 10 miles, mm-hmm. became 20 miles, you know. And next thing you know, you know, we were doing 70-mile running weeks and things like that, being addicted to running and running 10Ks and half marathons all over the nation. Yeah. And wow. then that, and then we got, and then there was this thing about 1982, there's this thing called triathlon that came about. And uh, we decided to go try one. And uh, Johnny won it. And I think I got third in my thing, our first triathlon. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and we both were addicted to it. It was crazy, but we both got like, this yeah. is a pretty cool thing. And we started doing triathlons and duathlons and just kind of as a hobby when we could. And, uh, you know, I was building motorcycles at the time. And, you know, from I think from the early days of being able to work on all the factory equipment, it gave me kind of a firsthand knowledge of frame design and everything like that. Yeah. And so I started, you know, these guys are, these bicycles are kind of pieces of junk right now, man. I think I can build a better bicycle. So I started playing with the, building my own bike, and that's what it did. But the fitness, it was all based on getting fit yeah and it's funny because so johnny you know johnny's a pro motocrosser you're you're his mechanic you both have passions for bicycling and training and you have to do the other stuff you have have to do the other stuff to make money to live yeah that's right (laughs) right and and you know what i will say that both of us caught slack from everybody in the industry because there were so many times when i mean when johnny won Everything was great. We were, I mean, we were on cloud nine, but yeah. when he would get second, it was because we did a 5K on Saturday the day before the race. Yeah, it's, ins- <laughs> you know? it's insane the things that you guys used to, that those guys used to do before the races. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah, uh, Epstein Bar, nobody, know, nobody knows anything about Epstein no, Bar. No, we didn't know what that was, and Johnny had it. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it, it's absolutely nuts um, uh, to think about that back in the day. But uh, what, what stories do you have? Let's, let's jump in the time machine a little bit here. Uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast, again, presented by Renthal, Maxis, um, Cobolinks, and Motorsport.com. Are, do, you, do you, okay, so you, you know Johnny when he's a little kid, so that's, that takes one of my questions away. Uh, you leave it in Simi Valley. What, how do you get into motocross? How does that start? I got into motocross for me, for myself. Yeah. Yeah, for, for myself, I got into it at about age 12. I, uh, so ba- basically what happened was, is my, I, was, I was raised in Southern California mm-hmm. and, you know, middle-class family and stuff like that. Well, my dad was a tool-and-die and tool and maker and engineer for uh, an aerospace company in, in the Valley. Okay. And unfortunately he passed away when I was only seven years old, but my dad had a machine shop on our property. Um, and he taught me at a very young age how to run a lathe and stuff like that. At like at seven years old, I was already running a lathe, Wow! you know, bare, yeah, I can't yeah. say I was running it correct, yeah, but I yeah, knew but how to yeah. turn it on and cut apart and stuff wow. like that yep. at a very young age. And I knew how to run all the, the band saws and stuff like that in his shop. And so I started playing around with mini bikes, you know, little taco 22s and stuff like that in the day. And, um, um, that led into my first motorcycle, and my first motorcycle, um, I had had to save up and save up and save up, mow lawns, everything like that, and I ended up buying 
uh, a Montessa 250, okay. <laughs> my first motorcycle at 12, and that was way too much motorcycle for me. <laughs> so I only had that motorcycle for very a very short time, and then I went down to the 125 class. And when I went down to the 125 class, I just started hearing about this thing called motocross. Yeah. And I, you know, with me and a group of other friends, we entered our first race. I uh, can't even remember what it was. I think it was back in Bay Mare, uh, in the days of Bay Mare days in, in uh, Southern California. And uh, I got addicted to motocross, just like bicycles, later on in my career. And your mom and was fine with all this? Your mom was cool? My mom yeah. was not so fine with <laughs> okay. it, but I think she let me do what I needed right. to do, you know? And... Yeah. Um, and so I started having that machine shop, you know, that was left for my brother and myself yeah. when my dad passed away. And so I was able to do things that most people didn't have the access yeah. to, to motorcycles. And then, and then later on in my career, in the, you know, in the Indian Dune days, I would, I would show up at the races. And I sucked. I sucked as a bicycle <laughs> racer. I sucked as a, a motocross racer. But, I, you know, if, if everybody had natural talent, I had to give 150% to even come close to them yeah. because I just didn't have the talent. So I, but I did have the talent in, it seems like, to be able to build and create things. And so um, I started building a lot of my own stuff for my motorcycles, you know, cutting the frames apart, moving the shocks up, yeah. you know, building a, building a reservoir, a shock reservoir, that, you know, and not knowing what I was doing. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. all these things in the day that led into things that we see on, on the motorcycles today. Wow. And, yeah. and um, interesting enough, the, the, uh, I, I kind of got tagged this name in the early days of my racing 125s as I'd show up on the starting line and they'd go, oh, no, here's Felt. He's the guy with that Chevy V8 turned sideways in the, in the thing because I'd always get the, my bikes were really fast. Okay. And I, it seemed like I was always right there, always got the start, and then I'd knife my way to the rear. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they knew I had fast motorcycles and stuff like that, and, and I kind of got tagged that name. And then I, one day I got a call from Kawasaki to come to work for him as a mechanic. Oh, okay. What year was this? This was uh, 1972. Okay, so 72. Ah, that's early. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're at Kawasaki. What do you, who are you working for? Or what are you doing? John DeSoto was my first Oh, rider. okay. Yeah. Um, and how were you learning this stuff? When you talk about, you know, modifying your motors and everything, I mean, I guess you're 16, 17, 18, all this kind of stuff. Is it trial and error? Are you blowing things up? Are you reading a book? Uh, you know what I mean? Like A little of all of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Steve. Yeah, it was actually a little of everything. I, You know, it's it's funny, but I've always taught myself. I've always um, educated myself. Mm-hmm in anything I wanted to do, whether it was metallurgy when I was working for Easton. Yep. You know, Easton was a huge teacher for me for, for my future bicycle right. career as I worked with some of the best engineers in the world and chemists, and it was uh, phenomenal stuff what they taught me. But I applied that stuff to myself and for what, you know, I was the one driving what I wanted to learn. Yep. And so I've always been very driven on mastering what my abilities could be, you know. Yeah. So seventy two DeSoto Kawasaki and and it's basically like, hey kid, here's the bike, um, and you'll forgive me a little bit because I'm not familiar with the early Cowies. Were they any good? Those things? Uh, oh no, they no. Suck. Okay, they were they weren't great. Yeah, right. yeah. The half of it, you know, in those days it was all works bikes. Yep. And the frames were, you know, most of the frames we made in the U.S. and and we got an engine from from Japan at the time, and and it was just, you know, we had. 
I mean, we we raced them, we won, yeah. but uh, we didn't have the name. Suzuki had the name back then. Right, right. Um, and then the Elsinore comes out and takes it to another level, right? That's correct, yeah. Yep. yeah. That's uh, right. Do, and so you're in a box fan? You're driving around? How old are you? Uh, that was, that, <laughs> that was uh, actually they started in a box truck. They didn't have box fans okay, back geez, then, so we yeah, had well, box truck. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stories about that. There's probably still wanted posters for me in Florida <laughs> sure. and other states with some of my teammates. I'm for sure, right? Taking out the gas station lights or something because the truck's too high. Or right, right. Oh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Taking um, out the toll booth at the airport with a guy in it, and he's laying on the side, and <laughs> we floor it out of there. <laughs> These are the, this is sort of the Wild West of motocross, right? Of that was total, yeah. Yeah. total Wild West in those days. Yeah. And, and uh, this time for, like, DeSoto, uh, how many years do you work for DeSoto at Cowie? Um, let me see, 73. It's got to be like two years, I think, okay. I worked for John. Yeah, great, great guy. Just yeah, I was going to say, nice guy. World. Yeah, good guy. Best guy in the world. Oh, yeah. cool. And, our, and, and this time, and again, it's before, a little bit before my time, but you guys are moving shocks around to try to get longer travel, try to change the, the way the, the bike works. It literally works bikes, meaning you working on these things all the time. Um, is that what you're doing now? You're starting to see, like, hey, if, I, if John wants this, and if I, if I, you know, move the forks down, if I move these shocks on uh, these dual shocks around, it does this, and he likes it. This is all trial and error stuff, or is Japan, is Japan saying, hey, this is our bike, don't touch it, type of stuff? Well, interesting enough, uh, I would say, uh, and this is that's a very good question because in those days, whether it was, it didn't matter if it was Honda, Suzuki, mm-hmm. Kawasaki, Yamaha. The U.S. and in Europe, it was it, there was a lot of hands-on development in those work spikes. So yeah. whether it was done in Belgium, whether it was done in the USA, whether it was done you know in Holland, there was so much input from the little the the either the distributorships or the European operations or the American operations. We drove what went into those bikes at that time. So those bikes were totally handmade. Yeah. Now, Japan might have made the motor, but it was they were making the modifications to what we were yeah. kind of asking for. And whether it was suspension and stuff, it talked about moving shocks around. I remember we had a... We had a... Uh, um, a prototype bike we built that actually reminds me of some of specialized it actually was very much of what specialized patents were on some of their uh um suspension bikes today oh, okay. really and wow. and yeah. and you know we this thing did not work in motorcycle technology it was horrific <laughs> um and there was so much money spent in that day and it was hand everything was hand built in the USA and it was just a huge expense and the thing was a big flop and didn't go anywhere yeah. You know, so I mean, we we did a lot, but so there was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of expensive programs, and then and then a lot of them just didn't work out. McCarty told me. I mean, this is later on, but McCarty told me they used to just get the a cone pipe, but they would just get the cones and be like, "Yeah, just weld it together, guys. Here's the yeah. cones. Here's the yeah. cones." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. We built our own pipes in those days, yeah. And that's, I mean, and there was, you know, that's why when you look at the difference between, I think, some of the professional mechanics today and the professional mechanics in those days. Oh, no, you can't even compare it. You can't even compare it. You you, kind of had to, 
bring a lot more to the party to to <laughs> if you were going to be successful you definitely the more talent you had the more it yeah. worked for your favor today there's so much that is provided by you know well i i won't say it's today because a lot of the stuff that's going back to the USA and they're running the teams out of the USA sponsor and just buying the bikes from Japan and buying the equipment from Japan but that that development process is yeah. still done by Japan yeah, it, it is crazy. It's getting more and more USA centric. Honda is still very much, you know, based on Japan and Cowie guys are, are but everything's made here to to specs of USA teams and things like that, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, um it's a different time than, than your era. Look, when yeah. I when I left being a mechanic, I was still doing my motors, you know, so I would take my four stroke motor apart and lap the yep. valves and, and rebuild it and change transmissions and build transmissions and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't welding pipes and I wasn't welding frames like you guys. Um and but even now, you know, since I've stopped being a wrench, these guys are just getting their motors handed to them, suspension handed to them, you know, and and bolting it onto a frame. It, it, it's a different world now uh, than and and I'm not here, sitting here saying, oh, it's worse and these guys are stupider than you know than no, but, and but I'm not as just, well. Yeah, yeah, it's just a different different deal now than what than you guys, you know. Um, so yeah, C- correct. Yeah, correct. It is. It's a definite. There's a lot more. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more ability to, you know, reach for your resources and stuff like that today than there was back then. You you basically had to do it. If you wanted to make an improvement, you were the one doing it. I, I was trying to – I remember trying to drive around to dealerships trying to find nitrogen for the shock I rebuilt. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you got nitrogen? Now you got nitrogen? You know, we're trying to get nitrogen. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah, that, that doesn't happen nowadays. Uh, That's right. Yeah, not, That's right. not at all. Um, okay, so you're at Cowie. Uh, how's that going? When do you leave to go to Yamaha? Um, I went to work for Yamaha. I, I left. I, so at Kawasaki, I worked for John DeSoto. Mm-hmm. Then I worked for Peter Lampu uh, for a very short time. Um, and then uh, Steve Wise. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then after Steve Wise, I left and went to work. I think it was, I think it was the end of 76 is when I started at Yamaha, I believe. So that would have been Glover, like, second year. It would have been Glover, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, Brock, it was, I think it was Brock's first year. We all, they hired Hannah. Mm -hmm. Hannah, I think, had the first year, and then they expanded the team to Rick Barnett and and Brock and and, uh, Hannah. Okay, and why do you go to Yamaha? Was it a better offer financially? Was it Brock? What What, what was the? They called me. Okay. They just no. Yeah. No. I was. I, I think I was. Um, I had actually left and was working locally. Just I wasn't on the circuit at yep. that time. And they called me back, and and Yamaha called up and said, you know, hey, we got an opening with Brock. Would you want it? And yep. I totally did it, and it was great. So were you Brock's last guy before John R? Um, I yeah, I wonder, right? No, okay. they had, um, I'm trying to remember who it was now. I can't quite remember who it was, and they'll kill me for not remembering. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, John R. was the final one. Yeah, the final one. Okay. Um, so you guys, does Brock win the title that year? Brock won the title. Yeah, nice work. That, uh, that, how was that for you? That would have been feel pretty good. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Any any title was uh, was awesome. Yeah, um, what a team too, Hannah. So McCarty's there working for Hannah, and you're working for Brock. And was Osterman there yet or not? Osterman yet? was there. Yeah, yeah. Osterman it, was there also. Okay, he came a little later, but yeah, he uh, he was there as well. Um, 
And so at, when do you meet Johnny O? Like, do you still know him as this little punk kid around this time? I already knew Johnny, oh, yeah. yeah. At that time, I had already known Johnny. And how did you meet him? How does that, how does that work? Um, I, I used to, one of my best friends, Al Baker at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's passed away now. Yeah. But um, um, at that time, Al and I were like best friends, and, and we did everything together. And Johnny used to come into Al's shop. And Al used to sponsor Johnny as yep. a privateer. Oh, okay. On the Mugen, on the Mugen Honda. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, interesting. I thought Al was always a, a desert guy, a high des guy. He so, was. Oh, he, he was. was. But that's still, Al, okay. Al's, Al's whole, you know, professional career was all, you know, Baja One Thousand yeah. and all the off-road yeah. stuff. Yeah, for and, sure. And uh, known for that, but he had a business uh, that also, you know, supported motocross stuff and it did a did a little bit of everything actually. Yep. So you saw Johnny when he's, whatever, 16, 15, 16, yep. coming up. Um, yeah, barely driving. And Indian Dunes days, right? Where I, I, Correct. Jim, Jim Hawley told me, like, as a kid, Omero was super fast. You know what I mean? Like, uh, at Indian Dunes. Like, he was, everyone's like, this, this guy's going to be way good. Oh, yeah. Um, the writing was on the wall. Everybody knew it then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of funny. Um, so, okay, so, yeah, so you meet him through Al Baker, and then Al Baker gets in the Mugen thing. Halverson's working for him when he wins the USGP, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, Tom Halverson. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's work- right. Yeah, he's working for him when he wins the USGP, and that gets him a Honda ride. Uh, obviously, the Mugen's a, you know, the, the, a, boutique, a boutique brand of Honda or whatever. Um, that's right. Are you thinking, are you thinking, Jim, like, look, uh, Glover is awesome. He won the title. You know, he's, he's on his way to being an all-timer. Um, are you going to stay at Yamaha, and that's your plan? Or how does that kind of – how does that lead you to John? No, I actually, I actually had a falling out with Yamaha, and that, that can happen. I'm, I'm sure you can imagine how it happens in that industry. But so back then, you know, you're living out of a box yeah. van, and, and you've got your – your teammates and things like that that you're traveling around with. Well, we were on the road for sometimes at four or five months at yeah. a time without coming home. Right. And my wife had gotten pregnant in 19, it was 1980. And um, the manager of Yamaha at that time was Kenny Clark. And I had um, said that, hey, listen, my, my wife's going to be expecting during this time. Yeah. I was in the middle of the race season in October, and I said, hey, my wife's going to have a baby. I'm going to need to fly home just for the birth yeah. of my son. And they never got back to me, never got back to me, and they kept putting me off and stuff like that. So I jumped on a plane and did it. Yeah. And then when I went to go back, they said they blew up at me. and Wow, you know, really? And were really mad at me. And, and so I just said, you know what, that's, that's it, I'm done. And, um, yeah, so it was, uh, so I left for a year and then, uh, and then they called me, then Honda called me for, for, uh, um, uh, for Johnny. For Johnny. Wow. I did. I actually, I actually went to work for Honda doing R and D stuff. Okay. Um, uh, like production, working production for the whole stuff? team, doing some R and D stuff, oh, some engine okay. development and doing some dyno testing and suspension parts and stuff like that. I think at the time. It uh, started with suspension parts make, with Dave Arnold. We made some linkage stuff, some prototype linkage stuff, and uh, me and another guy from Van Nuys, Jewel Hendricks, were, were uh, the guys that made that stuff for him. Ah, so it was a nice, you could go to, you could be at home, you could be based out of house, out of Southern California. I could be yeah, based yeah. out of the house, and then that led into going into Honda every day, and then, right. and then uh, um, Johnny, at that time, Johnny had had um, Greg Arnett, oddly enough, was... Yeah. Uh, was Johnny's first factory Honda mechanic, 
and Greg and Johnny just for some reason Greg didn't um, Greg and Johnny didn't seem to like Greg wanted to go surf probably uh, yeah I don't know exactly what it was I mean I, I know Greg and I know Johnny and they're both great yeah, people. yeah yeah and so I don't know what it was but the chemistry wasn't there and I had this ongoing relationship with Johnny I think right. and trust already and so they asked me if I'd be Johnny's mechanic and uh, in the next next thing you know, we were together. Um, so, how many years were you at Yamaha for, for Brock? I was from seventy, the end of seventy six to eighty. Oh, okay. So, man, you guys and won, we won three. Yeah, you won three. Nat, he was three time one twenty five champ. Yeah, at that point, yeah, we right? won three championships. Um, with Brock. And it just was like, hey, too bad. You want to see the birth of your kid? Too bad. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, best thing I ever did. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. Like, like, I don't know Kenny Clark. I don't, I, I don't, but there's a lot of Kenny Clark stories out there from people that worked with him, you know? Um, he seems like a bit of a hard ass. He really does. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, they, I mean, general managers are, yeah. you know, they, they, they're cut from that cloth and they need to be that way. So yeah. I don't have, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing against Kenny. Yeah. It was just that, you know, he was making a decision, a, right. a decision, and I just made a family decision. So you go to Honda, you're doing that R&D stuff, O'Mara gets the ride, you know, he's on his way up. Ironically enough, Greg Arnett also selling his company for a bunch of money, uh, his sunglass company. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know who was over the other day, um, Jim, was Eric Pernard, and uh, he told me to tell you hi. He was. Oh, really? Yeah, he hung out with you back way back in the day with, uh, with Greg and Johnny and all that. So. Um, yeah, well, likewise. <laughs> um, so what year do you start with Johnny at Honda? Um, I believe so. It was '81 when I started doing some stuff with Honda, and I I can't tell you the exact. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that in '82, yep, I was working for Johnny, but I don't know if it was in '81 that I took over for Greg in the '81 season, yep. or if it was the beginning of '82. But in '82 was when we got the some of the best work spikes that ever hit the yeah. U.S. shore. Yeah, absolutely. So Roger's there in the late 70s, right, early 1980-ish, and Dave's, Dave's there from being a mechanic from Artie Smith for a long time, and now things are rolling with with Honda. And, well, Jim, were you at Lomo for the MXDN victory? Do you remember that? Um, if you weren't, then you weren't working for Johnny that year. <laughs> <laughs> 82 was the uh was Germany and the Switzerland I think with Magoo. I went to Switzerland. Okay. I went to Switzerland, yeah. Yeah, Magoo, Magoo won all four motos in 82. Yeah. 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 Um so are you okay, so you obviously by now you've been modifying your own bikes, you're working at Yamaha, Kawasaki, all that kind of stuff. Uh Dave and Roger get together and they seem like Roger's the rider still, right? He's still a very technical kind of guy. He was a, an incredible machinist, still is. And Dave was really, according to Dave, he was telling me he, that they were getting into frame designs and back then and cutting up frames and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that was where everyone was like, hey, these bikes, they were lowering the center of gravity, uh, uh, moving the pipe to keep it from burning riders' legs, and, and really developing motorcycles that the riders loved. Is this kind of your recollection also? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I got to tell you that that there was uh, that group of us at Honda yep. in that air was probably the most successful best group of te- best team I think in history yeah. today. Yeah. It was uh there was some serious talent in that race room. So for you this this younger guy, I mean are you younger than Dave? 
I'm I'm a little bit younger than yeah, David. Yeah, so, yeah. Not much. This has to be, you know, you're a curious guy. We've seen what you've done, done post-motocross career, and, and you talked about working at Easton. This must be just just new ideas every day and Rogers testing and, and riders. Like, this must be, yeah, like you said, just a phenomenal time for your development as a mechanic. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, and, 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 and you know, that you know we have, we use the saying that we all need to read from the same sheet of music. Well, that's what we did in that yeah, day. Yeah. Everybody was on the same thing. It was all about building the baddest ass team in the world, and and we did it. Yeah, did you, matter, it didn't matter who it was, um, or or what it was. We yeah. did it. <laughs> and, and and you and Johnny are just in in sync at this point, just working together greatly and trying to beat Mark Barnett, trying to beat this animal. That oh Suzuki yeah, in 125 oh, class. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, very competitive and you know interesting enough. You know we'd show up at the races and we hate, hated everybody on the racetrack, and then you'd get back to the pit area that was at the end of the day and you clock out. And it's kind of like, hey, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> you know, and everybody's buddy buddy after that. You're like you're like that Looney Tunes with the uh, with the do- this cheap dog and the yeah, the- that's exactly <laughs> what it was like. You right. know, with Hannah, with you know, with yeah. everybody, you know, with Ricky Johnson, everybody had this animosity for each other on the racetrack, but yep. everybody was good. During the week and afterwards. And Cliff is there at this point, too? Cliff White? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, dude, you got yourself, you got Cliff White, you got Dave Arnold, you got Roger Paul Turner. Turner. Paul Turner. Turner. Yeah, Paul Turner, who started Rock Shocks later on. Yep. Like, yep. yeah, talk about, God, Jim, you might have. Eric Crippa. Yeah, Crippa's a genius, too. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, we had some. And then there was the road race department with all the road race guys. I mean, it was a, it was a huge, huge thing. Plus, we had just an incredible relationship with Japan at that time. Dave told me the 82 bikes. So 81, they start getting into lower CG, right? And they start moving the pipes around to stop from burning the rider's legs. And everyone likes it. Radiators are going lower. Everyone likes it. He said those 81 bikes. Remember the production 81 Hondas were not good. That was, those were ugly and not very good. Oh, yeah, yeah. no. No. But Dave said the the works bikes in 81, they got a lot better. And then the 82 bikes had the low tank, the fuel pump. And that's when Dave said when, when works bikes for Honda were, it was it had cartridge forks, which were amazing, right? Cartridge forks back then. Was, yep. And Dave was like, these 82 works bikes were the start of the dominance. Do you, do you agree? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, when you took down, so Johnny wins the title in 83, 125 nationals, uh, taking down the bomber. That had to have been I mean, what? Hey, Wardy, O'Mara, Lachine, Barnett—that's a stack class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was huge. Um, yeah, to beat Barnett was well, yeah had to been pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Um, at that point in '84, Johnny wins the Supercross title, uh, and 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 Wardy beats him outdoors. Wardy wins like every second moto, right? At some point, yeah. right? Like that, that yeah. was what they did. Apparently, they went one, two, two, one every single race. So, yep. Uh, what do you remember with that Supercross title? That was a weird year, right? That was there wasn't there uh, two. There was another series kind of inside the AMA series. Do you remember that? It was kind of weird. I don't remember that actually, but don't hold me to it yeah, because yeah, there's yeah. been a lot, a lot <laughs> later on no, in my no, life for to, sure. yeah. to have all these details. So, pardon uh, me for that. What was more significant for you, though, uh, as a mechanic and as a as a friend to Johnny, like winning that first 125 title? I could see that being the biggest deal ever, right? Or, you know, you win Supercross the next year. 
like that's pretty awesome too. Do you remember you feeling like one was better than the other, or one meant more to you? Well, I think I think, and I think any one of us from that era would say that that the outdoors was the real deal. So we put more weight at that time yep. into winning a, a national or a world title than we would a Supercross title. Um, but Supercross became so big yeah. and became so. Oh, just, you know, for the fan base and everything was just incredible, you know. So so all of a sudden, you know, winning a Supercross, you start kind of shifting your shifting your focus on the Supercross year, you know. And yep. and, and it, you, it was usually a give or a take, you know. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, if you're coming off of a 125 and having to ride, ride the 250, that was, you know, not, not an overnight you know, thing to train for. You yeah, know, so, so these these nationals would be in the middle. Of, it was all over the schedule, right? Like you do one twenty five. Yeah, you do one twenty five national. We do two two one twenty five nationals. Then you do a two fifty supercross, and then back to one twenty five national. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So you had two so. bikes on the box van, and you had to maintain two bikes. And that's right. Yeah. Now these are the days too. I don't know if Johnny did this, but these guys would stay back with you, right, and ride their race bikes practice. Would yeah, they? yeah, we did that. We actually did that a lot. Did you actually? Yeah, yeah. yeah and we had friends that had tracks on their property or something all over the nation and we were had the ability or you know when we got back there when bailey bought his house back east you know we go to bailey's or something like that and and uh ride there so i mean it was uh we were very fortunate to have those connections yeah. to be able to do that are you and, okay. and it really did matter i mean you know you you ride at saddleback your whole life, and then you go to Southwick, Southwick Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're 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 a kid out of out of the water, man. I'm yeah. telling you. You're like, there's this JoJo guy. He just hauls ass here. That's right, <laughs> <laughs> JoJo. Another um, great, another great story. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Right. Uh, you should write a book, Jimmy. Thought about writing a book. Jeez. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, so. Um, so at this point, you, these are full works bikes, 84, 85, 83, all that kind of stuff. Now, you get the bikes, you know, according to people I've talked to, these things came from Japan. They're all crated. Here's your bike for the year. You know, you guys would test them a little bit in the fall. Here's your bike for the year. And then you guys as mechanics would take them all apart. And are you modifying stuff, Jim, on your own? Like, are you doing things that Cliff isn't doing or, or you know, or Lunas isn't doing? Are you doing things on your own? Or is that kind of not allowed? Oh no, we did. Everybody could do whatever they wanted to, you know. Yeah. We worked with Dave a lot, and you know, Dave and uh, um, Roger and everybody was super cool. We'd, you know, maybe there was stuff I did that, um, you know, I just probably winged it and did it on my own and okay. didn't ask for permission. You didn't really need to ask for permission in those days. Yeah, everybody yeah. was on the same team. It was all about what was best for all, and what I came up with. We shared with the rest of the team and and vice versa, so it was um, okay. It, it worked. It was just like I said. We were all reading from that same sheet of music. So, and I remember. I'll give you an example. Yeah, I can't do. remember what year it was, but it was definitely the L.A. Supercross when we had a double nighter, and Paul and I had um, we had gone to the first night. And this is, we had a problem with our frames. This okay. is kind of probably what Dave was talking about. We had a problem with our frames, and so. After that night, drove from L.A. Supercross back to Honda. Mm -hmm. Paul and I cut the, our frames apart, stripped the bikes down, <laughs> cut the frames apart, 
cut the head tube off, bring one in a half a degree, change the, change the head tube heights, and we're there the next night for the next night and one. Just threw some red paint on it and called it a threw day? Threw some red paint on it and went. Yeah. Holy so, I mean, crap. that's the kind of stuff. Right. That's the kind of stuff that we were doing back then that, uh, you know, or sometimes, you know, with Dave, we were building our own frames and, and you know, out of the Honda yeah. R&D shop. So, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave was saying that his life changed when he got this, this universal frame design thing from Japan. They sent them one, and now, yeah. and now he could cut any frame up and, and build a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so, okay, so the Works Bikes that you got, I mean, these things are ultra-trick. They're amazing. They're still getting worked on to suit the different riders, right, at this point. Like, you're, Johnny's like, hey, can we do this? Can we bring a head angle in? Can we add a base gasket? Whatever it is. And you're doing these things to these factory bikes, you know, as far as testing them. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you yeah. know, and I'm just I'm just reminiscing of some things there. Yeah, that's that is correct. I mean, whether it's disc yeah. brakes, everybody was running drum brakes in the old days and Johnny and I they kind of threw us the the guinea pig to test disc brakes and I think that we were the ones that hung out with it and uh um I mean, there was a lot to learn, you know. We didn't have any uh pizza boxes as we used to call them <laughs> for uh protectors for the disc brakes for the calipers and stuff like that and yeah. you know we're running disc brakes and johnny goes into the first turn gets hit on the brake caliper goes to the second turn to step on the brakes and there's no brakes oh geez yeah yeah you know so right. so i mean you just i mean that's stuff you learn along the way and uh but yeah i mean there was uh it was just the ultimate days. I mean, people have no idea what we got to see and lay our hands no, on. I, you know, I mean, the the twin 125 champagne glass breaker that never made production. You yeah, know. you wrote that in Japan, Johnny said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, twin yeah we actually wrote it in the U.S. We wrote it in the oh. U.S. also. But, oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, an amazing piece of work, but just never, never, never materialized. Um, now, later on, after... After you left for Suzuki, we'll talk about that in a second. But so, like Cliff and Dan Bentley and Ron Wood, and everyone was fighting at Honda. Like these are epic stories because uh, Bale and Stanton and Kudrowski, nobody got along, and you know Bale gets benched, and 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 and, and at one point uh, Bale gets hurt in '90, and they give Kudrowski Bale's motor, and it's so much better because Cliff is going in and doing his stuff right, and yeah. no, and nobody's talking to each other. Uh, yeah, Lunas. Lunas takes forks away from Guy Cooper, Cooper told me. Like, yeah, give me those forks because he started to do really well. Anyways, so this is after you leave. But the point I'm getting at is so – but you and Cliff and Turner and everyone are fine at this point? Like, no, there's no – there's none of this going on at Honda at this point? Everybody's we, good? For, I mean, you're talking – you know what? It, it, I guess – you know, now that you bring that up, there was some animosity <laughs> towards each other's and stuff like that. But you know, yeah, Dave was like trying to put out all the fires, get everybody along. You know, like yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, there was. I think hiding some parts and and who's going to get this and yeah, yeah there might have been a yeah. little bit of that later on. But uh, but and I think it was depending on who who you're talking about there. There was personalities yeah. that were probably harder to get along with than others and well i heard i heard you were ultra competitive though i did hear from people that you know our mutual friends that you were a really competitive guy very very competitive i've probably always been competitive yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. um and i'm not saying that in a bad way just you you were you know what i mean like it was you and johnny against the world right and that's how you have that's how you get to be i think when you live in a box fan uh 
Yeah, well, I, I think what happens is you build a relationship with your rider, and, and I think that that's a huge part of succeeding at building a champion, whether it was in bicycles or motorcycles mm-hmm. yeah. or any sport. I think if you've got your support group and you guys are on the same team and you're striving for the same goal, Yep. That's how you win championships. And and you know, the people around you might not see that. They might be jealous of that. They might not have it with their rider. Yeah. And and there was a lot of that. You know, they think they've got it, but they don't really have it, you know. Right, right. Um how bad did it get with Wardy in 84 that they were not happy with each other, huh? 125 Nationals. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? There's a, there's one of those stories where the clock out, clock in. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. It right. was like, yeah, it got really ugly. I mean, it got ugly, and and you know, and 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 Mike McAndrews, Wardy's mechanic at the time, mm-hmm. his family and my family drove side by side driving across <laughs> the nation during the week. <laughs> you oh, know, that's funny. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, and we're still great friends today. Oh, how so. funny is that? Yeah, because you know, I mean, they were knocking each other down. They were going one two every single race. Right, it was. Oh, it was, it was serious. Yeah, serious. Um, now I worked for a guy named Tim Ferry for a number of, for four years as his mechanic, and we're good friends. Yep. And, and and you know, uh, never won any championships like you and Johnny. But but there was a couple times in our relationship where he got mad at me and I got mad at him. Like we were we were in sync for the most part. I would do anything for the guy, and and you know, and all that stuff. Um, and and we got he got mad at me a couple times. And it was, you know, what, his wrist was sore, and I told him to jump this thing, and he couldn't jump it because it was a super hard landing that hurt his wrist. And I'm like, well, you have to jump it, you know what I mean, if you want to win tonight or be on the podium. And anyways, did you and Johnny ever have any blowups? You know, I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking about that, and, I mean, Johnny would have to verify that, but I, I swear I don't believe there really, was huh? ever, yeah. ever anything that, wow. I, that I know of. I mean, there was a lot. Yeah. Of weird stuff that I, that uh, you know, that I had to deal with with Charlie, you know, yeah, yeah. and and I could I could take up every podcast the rest of the year on stories about Johnny O'Mara and traveling with him, what what funny things that happened, yeah, but yeah. I don't remember, I honestly don't remember any blowups. All I know, from, I kn- okay. All I know from those old guys, there's a lot of shitting on sandwiches and shitting in bags and shitting in oh, helmets. Oh yeah, like that. That like every story I hear from the old guys involved riders shitting everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, or Johnny coming out of the elevator and box stock naked, and the only thing on him is shaving cream. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, there's a lot just, of that, right? Yeah, or or Dave Arnold flying on the airplane. I'm with Bailey and Johnny on the plane, and. Dave Arnold will always fall asleep like five minutes into the flight. Uh-huh. Johnny, Dave Arnold uh, was sound asleep, and Johnny and David went up and painted whiskers on his cheeks <laughs> with a Sharpie pen. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> people were looking at right. And this is the day, of course, where planes, like, you know, no security or whatever. You just do whatever you want on a plane. It's fine. Nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, just a lot of those stories, and like whether it's Stanton or O'Mara or Bailey or it's fire extinguisher that's naked, it's shitting. It's it's, it's yeah. it seems like it was uh, out of hand back then. Um, yeah, eighty five. The the pinnacle. Those works bikes come in. Johnny doesn't have a great year. Uh, those bikes and Dave. I was just talking to Dave about it. Like those bikes were amazing, but they were almost too fast. And you know they had aluminum in, attached to the steel, and they had different. Um, it handled different. It, it had flex when you guys didn't realize they had flex. Uh, great bikes to look at, but not that good. Those eighty fives, not that great. 
Yeah, I mean, there was years. I mean, it was, and you know, as Dave probably touched on it, I'm sure, about how we used to sit there and wait when the shipment was coming in of the new works bikes for the year. And when we got those first initial test bikes, you know, we would do all the initial testing. We'd usually fly to Japan, yep. do the initial testing late in the season. Then the bikes would come in. The, the, the final version of that bike would come in for our racing season, you know, early. Mm-hmm. And then we'd be we'd all be sitting around, you know, waiting for those crates to show up and open those crates. And you could almost tell how your year was going <laughs> when you popped the lid on the crate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. You know, and yeah, there was good years and bad years, but. Um, and I think it just mattered how much more work you're going to have to do to put into it to make it a good bike. To make it a good bike, yeah. Um, Eighty six comes production rule. Johnny has a good year, but he's third. At so many races, Jim, it's Bailey and RJ, right? Uh, Bailey, RJ's right. the new guy, and, and, and it's Johnny's third a lot. Uh, rides 500s, of course. This is the first year of production bikes. Were you worried about the production rule? Were you thinking, like, we hated it? Yeah. Hated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely the stupidest thing they ever did. Yeah. And, and it, you know, now, um, now it's acceptable, and maybe that isn't the right thing to say, but at the time, everyone hated it, unless you were a privateer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, it was, I think the other OEMs, they couldn't compete with Honda, so they just complained. Yeah, I think that's yeah, what the genesis yeah. of it, right? Like that's, that is yeah. that is a big part of it, yeah, too. But, yeah, yeah but, the, but unfortunately, that was the beginning of the end of the technology drive. Yeah. I think we'd be, in a, even today, a lot farther along than we are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If maybe. they wouldn't have yeah. ever, you know, made that rule. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Jim Felt. Good stuff, indeed. Thank you to Motorsport. Free shipping on anything over 79 bucks. Go through the banner on pulpamex.com or pulpamexshow.com to help us out. They got uh, OEM parts. They got aftermarket parts. They got a whole Pulp Nation section on their website you'll see. They got special deals for a lot of things going on. Great customer service. Great return policy. And, yeah, man, RV, uh, Phil Nicoletti, myself, the club team, all uh, depending on motorsport.com. And if there's a problem with anything going on with motorsport with your order or questions that you don't feel have been handled uh, the, the, the way you want them handled, which I find hard to believe. But if that happens, email me using the contact form on pulpmex.com, and I will make sure it gets handled. Thank you to motorsport.com. Uh, check them out, man, for all your OEM and aftermarket needs. They'll be able to handle it. Thank you to the folks at Cobalinks as well, K-O-U-B-A, links.com, built in Boise, Idaho, and they've been in business for a long, long time. They make lowering suspension links from everything from Apulia to Yamaha, so if you need to have some confidence out there by having the bike suit you and fit you, uh, get your suspension working a little better for you, check out Cobalinks.com. You can get those through Motorsport also. Uh, use the code PULPAMEX to get free shipping and a savings, Cobalinks.com. Uh, check those guys out as well. Lowering suspension links for everything from Apulia to Yamaha. Thanks for listening. Now back to Jim Felt. So he gets, he goes to Motocross the Nations, you know, rides Mickey Diamond's bike, epic, break, beats Dave Thorpe, right on 125 at Majoria. And he goes to Suzuki. Here's where I'm interested. Could you have stayed at Honda? Did you want to stay at Honda? How did the, your transition to Suzuki work with Johnny? You know, it's, um, well, what happened is the management changed at Honda at that same, or, you know, that same period of time. So they brought in um, a new general manager, and um, <laughs> it's kind of a long story I won't get into. Yeah. Um, was, but, that, was that Wes, or was that – who is that? 
No, that oh. was Gary Mathers. Oh, Gary Mathers, yes, okay, yep. Gary Mathers at the time, yep. and and you know, Dave and Roger and I were doing our stuff, and our job all of a sudden became really difficult right. to do, right? Because we were used to working directly with Japan and mm-hmm. having having it the way we wanted it, and then all of a sudden we weren't reading from that same sheet of music, and so there was a little bit of frustration in that last year, mm-hmm. and and um. They, I got wind that they were going to let Johnny go. Okay. That Johnny was going to, they weren't going to renew his contract or they weren't going to, you know, they weren't happy. There was a lot of things. Johnny was getting injured. David was injured. You know, there was a lot of, lot of problems. Yeah. And then um, they came to me, they called me up front and said, hey, Jim, you know, we're going to get rid of Johnny. Yeah. And just want to let you know you're going to have a job. Right. We're going to ship you over to grade 12, I think it is, which is like the lowest paid. Oh, uh, what? Really? Lowest paid uh, grade of payment at at Honda at the time. And you can work in the automotive or lawnmower department. Oh, shit. Oh, so wow. they didn't have the right to just, like, fire me, I think, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. But it was just it was just an excuse to get us, see us both leave the team. Yeah, yeah. Were you getting so, along with, with Dave and Roger, though, still? Oh, Everything? totally. Yeah. Oh, that was to fine. this day. Right, right, yeah, right, right. perfect relationship. Yeah, 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 no problems there. Oh, wow. See, I would but, think, uh, yeah, I would think they'd want to keep it. But I had had a little, I had had a run-in, I think, and I don't know if that's exactly what it was. It might have just been business because, like I said, general managers need to be tough, so I don't right. have any, you know, yeah, yeah. another great thing I did. <laughs> but at, at what happened was, I think the year before when Gary Mathers was head of the AMA, we were at the Atlanta Supercross, and we, I mean, it was snowing. It was just a terrifically, it was 20 degrees or something mm-hmm. and snowing, and it was a mud fest and, you know, outdoor stadium. Yep. And I can't remember if we won or what we did, but we had a very successful night. Our bikes are in impound yep. after the race, and Gary Mathers comes up and goes, I want O'Mara's bike torn down. Yeah. <laughs> And you're like, it's like, it's like midnight. Yeah. Yeah. It's freezing cold. It's midnight. Down. Yeah. 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 And I go, come on, Gary, there's nobody here is protesting. There's no, yeah. there's no objection to anybody yeah. Yeah. from the other, from the other guys sitting in impound. And he goes, Nope, I want it torn down. Oh. So I just told him to, uh, basically fuck off. <laughs> and then the next year he's my general manager. Oh, so that, yeah. didn't, that didn't exactly sit well with You're like him, my so. bad, my bad on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've had to do, I, I've had to do a transmission. We don't look at your transmission. I'm like, it's, it's 1am in St. Louis. Like, really? Like, yeah, yeah. Let me look at you. Like, yeah, I've been there a little bit <laughs> where you're just like, nobody cares, dude. Nobody cares. Am I yeah. right? You know? So, um, so, so, oh, so, so Johnny, like, yeah, it was basically an insult for you to stay at Honda. So, so you're stoked. And Suzuki, good pay, like, um, same kind of stuff. Like, obviously, it was a different deal back then with Suzuki. Their bikes weren't very good. Pat Alexander was team manager. Johnny got a nice deal to go there. But, um, you know, as far as you go, as far as you, situation was good, Suzuki? Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, yeah, I mean, the money was great. The people were great. Suzuki at that time wasn't even a wasn't even on the radar as as far as I'm concerned is about about yeah. being in the in the race as a as a as a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I he, mean, I show up the first day at Suzuki after being at Honda, 
and I was so depressed. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what like, I was up again. Right, yeah, right. I, I mean, and and also it doesn't hurt either. Johnny hurts his knee before the year in '87, yes. and so that he starts off on the wrong foot. Like his, oh his yeah, knees. which was a completely uh, amazing comeback, actually. Yeah, because by '89, yeah. Johnny's back. You sh- you should have won Anaheim, Jim. I don't want to get into that. Well, there's another thing about yeah. That was uh, we he leading the Supercross and and uh, the triple clamp breaks. It was in a half. it was a tie stem from what I hear. A steering uh, stem. No, it was aluminum. Oh, aluminum. Okay. Aluminum. Aluminum yeah. steering stem and, and yep. just whatever. Just wow. Yeah, it was just the way it was machined. It just broke in half and stuff. On I mean. It, he had it one hands oh, down, yep. and then that happened. And uh, which again yeah, it was a shame. Rough '87, rough '88 for you guys. Bikes weren't good. '89 yep. bikes they start coming around a little bit. Hannah's doing some stuff and helping to develop. And again, Correct. Again, that could have been the starting of, of a Johnny uh, of a win for him. Um, and yeah, like whatever, five laps to go, something right. Like yep, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah. So early on in Suzuki, then Jim, you knew that you were in for. Some serious work. <laughs> Some serious work, yeah. Limited resources. Uh, yeah, you just, you, it was, ba- it, you know, at Honda, it was whatever you needed, you went and did. Yeah. At Suzuki, you can't have it, and you can't, and we're not going to get it for you, <laughs> you know. And so, so you, you were basically yeah. on your own, yeah. and, and it didn't matter what it was. it was. It was just part of the time and their budget. And, I mean, Pat did a great job. Yep. Um, um, Tosh and all the guys at Suzuki were great. Yeah, um, yeah, but it is what it is, huh? But it is what it was. They just and and you couldn't get through to them that you need to improve this, and your and your racing departments can improve along with it, you know. And so, I don't know what it is today. I you know I kind of lost touch with the Suzuki guys and stuff, but yeah, um, no, not, I don't know what it is today. It's but not it was, very good. Uh, no, it's still it, not very good. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't when I left either. Right, right. Are you at this point? Do you have a road bike with you all the times in the box van, and you're trying to get some road biking in? You're trying to do bicycle stuff. You're trying to. You're into that. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Still still racing on the Saturdays or something like that. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's a whatever whatever we could fit in and yeah uh, um, and a, and a lot of the guys. It wasn't just me. I mean Brian Lunas and all of us. We used yeah. to ride together and you know everybody used to get together and try to go for a ride. Um, so yeah, this is, but, but how, uh, was Johnny, I mean, look, he was making good money, you know, the bikes are what the bikes are. Was Johnny's attitude okay at this point? Was he trying hard? Was he still putting in the work and just like, and you and him at the end of the day, you'd at the box fan, you'd both shrug your shoulders or how was the relationship and how was Johnny's attitude this time? I think is, um, I think Johnny was, um, like would he come back? Him him and I were great still. Yep. Yep. Um, but I think Johnny felt the, the, um, Johnny was trying really extra hard then, I think. And the harder he tried, the, and not getting results was, was eating at him a little bit, I think. Yeah. I wonder too, if we had the technology, like, I don't, I have no idea about his knees, right? He had knee problems his whole career, um, or most of his career. I wonder if the technology that we have now could fix his knee back then. You know, uh, I mean, he told me he had, used to swell up on him, used to get drained all the time. He had no cartilage, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, but I wonder if, yeah, if we had modern technology, if, you know, his knees would have been a little bit better also, you know? 
You know, um, <laughs> I, I don't know because I can tell you this. I'm, um, I don't know, back about five years ago, I went and got a hip replacement, and so I've got a titanium hip now. Mm-hmm. And the doctor flat out told me when my hip was an inch and a quarter shorter on my left side, they told me I needed it replaced, and they based it all on the mega miles of training. Oh, yeah. yeah. And And so... Um, I know Johnny's no different. Johnny was even worse than me. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know if technology helps that. Yep. D- does Does he have Epstein Bar around this time too? Is this around when he gets, has he's he got mono or something? Right? Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. had it for a long time too. Yeah, my, he couldn't of, get out of his own way when he had Epstein Bar. One of my guys had it, and after a seven lap heat race, he looked exhausted. He looked like he was going to yeah. pass out. You know. And it's and it's one of those things that it's so hard to identify too. Right. So, are you swinging by the Honda pits in the Suzuki years and just checking out their bikes and just be like, "Hey guys, how's it going?" <laughs> right. You know. But I yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, we, those guys are still everybody. What well, didn't matter which team I've been on, we've all remained good friends and family. I mean, those are some of my best friends of all time. Yeah. In those days, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably did that. I don't think I was swinging by the Honda thing to to look and be jealous of what they yeah. had or what I didn't have. But as I said, the '89 bike was, you know, Hannah had developed it a little bit. Like '89's Johnny year, Johnny Johnny's last year at Suzuki was was okay. You know, he had redeemed himself a little bit. Um, you know, on that bike, it was it was kind of a Honda copy. Looking back yeah. on it, you know, yeah. it really was. Yeah, um, yeah. So going to Kawasaki in '90. Uh, again, Johnny's last year. They, they, you know, they have the new perimeter frame bike. Uh, they kind of, from what I understand, and you correct me if I'm wrong. I think I, think I think Turner told me this. They really wanted Johnny to test. Wardy didn't want to be the guinea pig anymore. You know, Dogger didn't do anything when he was there uh, for testing, and and they really wanted Johnny to help set up the bike. Obviously, he's still a high level racer, but is that how you remember it going down? Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, I mean that's how they brought Johnny on. I think to do R and D stuff more, mm-hmm. yeah. and but it instantly turned into him being one of the one of the guys. So um, yeah, I think that's how it did. And then and then I came back and worked for the team at Cowie at that time. Oh, you and weren't Johnny's mechanic in '90. I wasn't Johnny's oh, mechanic. I didn't know this. Okay, all right. So so you have another career decision to make here at this point. Yes. Yeah. So what do you do at Cowie? And but but I'm already like we had already been at that time eighty nine mm-hmm. is when I started building kind of my own frames. Oh okay. Bicycle frames. Yep. So when I was gone on the racing circuit, then I'd come home and work during the winter on bicycle stuff. Oh. When we were off season and playing around building Johnny and I frames and and what stuff were, like that. What were you What were you seeing in bicycles back then that made you think that you could do something better? What what did you see or what did you be like? What were you like? Hey Johnny, what if we did this? Um, I really didn't like the bicycle designs, no. the material, especially on the material side of okay. things. And oddly enough, that's when my door opened. Just, I mean, I think I said that God gives us all an opportunity. It's when we listen, when He taps us on the shoulder, and mm-hmm. I got that tap on the shoulder from Easton, and uh, one day, and they said, Hey Jim, we're starting a bike division. You want to come to work for us? 
and and it was like 20 minutes from my house versus three hours <laughs> driving to Kawasaki yeah. every day. Yeah. And so I just said, heck yeah, are you kidding? I want to further my education and surround myself around those people. So I let them know at Easton that, that which was, you know, incredibly uh, great for me to let them know, to, to let me have the ability. I told them the day I started, I said, listen, my goal is, is I really do want to start my own company someday. And I just would love to work here and do my best job for you guys developing whatever I'm good at doing for you. Mm-hmm. And they took it and, um, we had some great years at Easton at the same time I was building felt. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but all I remember Easton doing for bicycles, and again, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I had a Marin around this time, and I had Easton bar ends and Easton uh, bars, um, and but that's all I remember. What else did they make for bicycles? They made uh, well, they're they're a processing company, so they were the the ultimate processing company of manipulating, especially aluminum tubing. But we did a lot more stuff. I mean, like I said, they had the best yeah. metallurgists and chemists in the world working for them because they developed their own. They not only Easton not only developed their own products, but they developed their own technology to make those products. And I still believe that today. I still do that with the stuff I'm doing now. Yep, is that. I don't want what somebody else has designed and built. We need to do it ourselves, and we need to build the machine to do it. To do it. And also, too, I mean, you think about it. You've had 10 years on the road as a mechanic. Like, it's that grinds on you, man. I don't know how your relationship was with the wife and kids and uh, you guys. Like, I mean, I did it. I drove the whole circuit for, like, four years, but I was a Canadian, and I had no family or no life, and I loved it, right? This was the ultimate dream for me. I can't imagine having a family and driving and all the stuff that you guys had to do. Uh, crazy to to do it for ten years, Jim, is a long time. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was uh, tough on the families for sure, and you have to have an understanding family. And you know, like I said, that family of people that I still consider my friends, they still have great families. They we did it back then. We either brought them with us yeah. or we didn't see them for five months at a time sometimes, you know? Crazy. Yeah, cr- crazy. Crazy, think, crazy yep. times. But but you know what? We That's what you had to do in those days. So, it was a great job, a great thing to be able to, a great profession to hang your hat on. So you're a monkey. Are you, are you doing mountain bikes at, at, at your also, or when do you get into mountain bikes? I did mountain bikes as well. We built our own mountain bikes, and and. Uh, but were you were you I more of a road some, guy? Were you more of a road guy for the long? I was time? more. Well, I started off with road and triathlon because yep. that was kind of my 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 immediate niche, and everybody yep. thought that motocross should be a mountain bike right off the bat. I, I took more time designing and building mountain bikes, and at the same time, I got opportunities. And for example, there was a mountain bike. Uh, guy that was uh happened to be probably the best in the world john tomac and he had uh i've heard of him yeah i've heard he had um wanted me to build him a couple of frames for his he was actually sponsored by raleigh at the time and giant and i built his frames and they just said raleigh and giant on them so oh okay wow but they were actually your frames they were my oh frames, shit yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that so yeah so okay so you're dabbling in mountain bikes early then i didn't know if it was all like triathlon and, and road bike stuff no i did it right. i did kind of it all but mm-hmm. i just was known you know yep. because I, my success in bicycle was a another complete another story for another day but it went from zero to a hundred overnight <laughs> and so i was um very fortunate when, when you look happened. at it when you look at a triathlon bike i mean that's all wind stuff right like that's all like massively wind tunnel uh, design and sleek and all of that. 
right? Aerodynamic. Yeah, aerodynamic. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the word I'm looking for. So I guess your bikes were pretty good on that kind of stuff. I'm guessing. That's what we specialized on: the weight, the weight, the geometry, and the aerodynamics. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so uh, at some point, you team up with Answer to distribute. I remember that there was an Answer felt combination Correct. stuff. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And that was just a distribution for you to try to push the. Yeah, products. it was a licensing agreement. They manufactured and built my designs and stuff like that. And that's when that's an early in our conversation when I was talking about I know what it's like to have trouble getting your name back. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I see what <laughs> you mean. That's where right. it fell because they had the right to sell everything. And then when when it was time to move on from Answer, um, I couldn't I couldn't from their mother company. They weren't going to give me my name back. They wanted to keep it and oh. hang on to it. Oh, it got ugly then. And bit. so it went back to it the after a year of starving, yeah. <laughs> um, trying to get that back and not being able to make a living. Um, I actually went back to Eddie Cole, who I had had a a great relationship growing up with. He was the owner of yeah. Answer, right? Yeah, and the president, yeah. and uh, had a talk with him, and he pulled up the piece of paper and signed it over to me, and. I, if, I felt wouldn't have ever gotten off the ground if it if it wasn't for Eddie giving me my name back. Well, I'm glad it works out in a good way for Eddie because I really like Eddie Cole. I respect oh, I him a lot. Eddie. So yeah. I'm glad it, it wasn't uh, it, this podcast didn't turn into an fu to Eddie Cole. So that's no, good. not <laughs> okay. at all. He's good. a great, great yeah. man. Right, uh, Jim Felton. And we traveled together in the old Yamaha yeah. days. He used to travel with me around the country. He, in the Yamaha days with Hannah and everybody in Glover. Yeah, he told me the story about how he got Hannah's name on his handlebars, and Hannah was like, yeah, whatever, I don't give a shit. Like, go ahead. You know what I mean? And, and like, <laughs> it just made him so much money, and it made him, like, you know, and he tried to pay Bob, and Bob was like, yeah, you know, you owe me everything for answer and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it was all because, like, Eddie's success was, like, he just, Bob and Hannah was like, sure, put my name on some fucking bars. Go ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple things uh, before we let you go here. I could talk to you for a long time uh, about all the stuff that you've done. Uh, so the 80, the USGP that Johnny ran out of gas on, you ever figure out what happened there? Was it just too much gas? Like, you guys just mis- misplaced that? Remember the, uh, and Johnny gave Hannah the gas tank on the podium, signed it over to him? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember what happened. Okay. I don't, I, I don't honestly remember yeah, yeah. what exactly happened. I mean, uh. Um, he was on his way to winning, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was on his way to winning and then ran out of gas. Oh, um. Best race that you saw Johnny ever ride? Is there one that sticks out? Is there a one or two that just where he was just he impressed you? Um, probably, and I'm just I'm just winging it right now. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there were so many great experiences with Johnny um, and Bailey and you know David. I mean, just we were just were such tight friends, and you know. And and we could talk about anything and do anything, and they had so much trust in me. But and and that leads into what <laughs> what I what I uh, did with Johnny and two of the probably two of the most incredible moments of my career mm-hmm. with Johnny was the Switzerland Grand Prix. Okay. One traveling to and from that with Roger and everybody. Yeah. Um, and the things that happened along the way. As well as that race, um, that was the end of '82, I believe, with the Gubors and Johnny going at it at the Switzerland Grand Prix. Wow! 
and and you know here we go back to that finish johnny needed to win the second moto Mm -hmm. and johnny was supposed to win the second moto and was like at the like back in 25th place or something and and johnny was very um predictable on his mood on the motorcycle okay and i had to work really hard on to getting into his head on getting the i could say the right thing and it would turn him around like overnight Mm -hmm. and he went from like 25th to ended up winning that race passing gubors and winning the gp so that was probably my one of the best experiences and most rewarding races of his career for me yeah and then secondly would probably be the Daytona Supercross with Ricky Johnson when Johnny went to attempt to go for the win. Oh, and, in 84. And, yeah. And passed. And uh, we thought he won, but I guess Ricky had won. But Johnny did this jump that he was probably. Yeah. There's a photo. I mean, it's just incredible. It was just unheard of back then. Uh, <laughs> you know, Just held it pinned down the whole straight and just launched it. Yeah. And launched it probably 150 <laughs> feet in the air. And, and uh, you know, I mean, and that was all from the signboard, you know, that I'm giving them and stuff like yeah. that. And it was just like, yeah. so it was, that was, you know, chills down your spine wow. moments. Was he, was he, um, I want to put this in the right way. You know, there's champions like Hannah and Carmichael and, and RJ that I think, and you would know better than I do, at least when it comes to the older guys, that were just self-motivated, hard-ass champions, like, I'm going to get this done, whatever I can do. Johnny's one of the all-time greats also. But psychologically, that what you mentioned earlier touched me. Like, was Johnny uh, a bit of um, – again, I don't, wanna, I don't know the right word to say this nicely. Like, a bit of a basket case sometimes? Like, did you have to – really mentally work on Johnny or was he so stubborn and, and, and single-minded that if the bike held together, you knew he was good? Like how much talking did it take, you know, to get Johnny to be, you know, where he's at? You know, oddly enough, I, I wouldn't say Johnny was, was weak in any way. Johnny was good. And if Johnny was good, Johnny was good. Yeah. I think what can happen with any athlete, with any professional athlete, I had to deal with this even with the, in the bicycle industry with my professional athletes all the time. I mean, you, you just, you know, there's, you, you gain trust with somebody and it's, and it's like when Johnny had trust in me and I had trust in him, everything was good, but people from the outside sometimes can get in their head yeah, yeah. and he starts thinking too much and you start talking yourself out of being as good as you are. And, and I see, you know, he'd come to the race some weeks and, you know, I could tell that he wasn't on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And some weeks, you know, it was so like, it wasn't even a question that he was going to win. We knew he was going to win. Right. You know? And so I think that's that way with, uh, I think McCarty would say the same thing about Hannah. Hannah, you know, Hannah was just, just more, you know, self-driven, doesn't need anybody, doesn't, you know, just... I want the motorcycle. Keith, he did the motorcycle. It's done. I'll do my job. And Right, right, right. And, you know, Johnny needed a little bit more um, coaching. And I think yeah, that's yeah. why Johnny's been so good with the other athletes now as he recognizes that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't mean it like, yeah, I, I, hard to say. Like, some riders just, you know, need to be spoken to and motivated in a proper way. Otherwise, other guys just leave them alone. 
You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, and 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 it's hard to say because you don't, you know. I mean, I I could honestly say in the bicycle industry, there's there's some of the athletes I've ran across over the years that are I, I'll just call them complete head cases. You know, yeah, I yeah, mean, they're just yeah. like God. They could be the best in the world, but they can't get out of their own yep. way because they can't think for themselves. Yeah. Johnny wasn't that way he wasn't anyway. That way, right? No, not at all. Um, I absolutely love e-bikes. Uh, I've lost a bunch of weight on an e-bike and 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 really really enjoy them. Where are you at with e-bikes, Jim? I mean, look, you're a hard ass. You, you know, you've done a lot. But are we okay with e-bikes, or, or, or do I need to be shamed on an e-bike? Oh no, no. I and I'll say this: I was probably well. Felt was actually one of two companies in the world that brought e-bikes into America really? and oh. was pioneering it. And that was a lot because I had the interest of designing and building e-bikes. I saw the future in that. And I was, you know, Bill and I and Michael, well, I'll give you a quick story yeah, and then I'll leave do. it at that. Yeah. I was in Germany probably, oh, I don't know, 15 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and Michael Muehlman at the Eurobike show, and Michael Muehlman says, hey, Jim, I need you to go look at something real quick. There's this guy from France. He's got this design of an e-bike, and he wants you to ride it. I want you to tell me about it. The guy wants to sell us the patent on it and stuff, okay. and you go ride it in the parking lot. So I go out with this guy. I go out and ride it in the parking lot. I come back, and this time I'm still pretty fit and still, like, into, you know, racing my bike and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And um, I get back, and I just say, Michael... I wouldn't ride that thing for my life. <laughs> okay. You know, and then I started thinking about that experience I had on that e-bike, and it was just a piece of junk, actually, right. at that time. Right. Here we go later on, the gears start turning about what, what could we use an e-bike for, mm-hmm. and uh, I won't get into why I got the idea and stuff, but I you know, went to Bill and said, hey, there's this e-bike thing, yeah. e-bike thing coming. We should take a pretty good look at it, and so we... We hooked up with Bosch and and uh, designed some e-bikes. Well, now I'm telling you, e-bikes are the future. Oh, it's it's insane, right? Just yeah, just... it's insane. There's no reason, and people need to get away from their attitudes about riding it because they're not easy to ride. They only help assist when you need it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my I go on rides. I, mean, I got I got two two and a half hours, 2,500 feet of climbing. My heart rate's at 153. You know, at my average heart rate, I'm able to to go the next day. It doesn't. Doesn't I could never do that on a normal bike, right? And I can, no, yeah, I can keep that's riding. right. You know, I can keep going for a ride, so I keep exploring. And just wait, like I said, my my thing about KTM buying felt is that yep. now they have the opportunity to turn this thing between if they bring some of their motorcycle technology into the bicycle. Yep, they've got an advantage. Yeah, they need to they need to listen to that and do it because I mean, e bikes. Everybody will deny what they want. But I'm telling you what, people can't wait until we're rewiring motors and throwing more voltage at them and turning yeah. them into knack knack bikes. And yeah, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's incredible. I mean, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah, Shimano's got some new stuff, and they're they're pushing each other, Broche, Broche, or whatever you say. Yeah, and, and Shimano, yep. they all push each other, right? They're getting skinnier uh, batteries with more with more watts and all that stuff. So yeah, it, it's 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 a really cool thing going on right now. It um, is very much so. I saw I was in Utah and I was bicycling on my e-bike at an incredible trail uh, in the mountains of, of Salt Lake Park City area, and yep. John John Tomac came up the hill on a regular bike by himself because we were all there for the Supercross, and I'm just like, oh, John's going to just be disgusted in me that I'm on this e-bike and because he's on a real bike and he's he's up he's out of the sh- out of the saddle grinding up this hill and then i saw him later i'm like hey john like i'm on an e-bike is that cool he's like oh e-bikes are great they're great i'm like okay good i just didn't want you to like punch me in the face and be disgusted with me john that i was on an e-bike so 
he was he was fine with it. I I needed to get the blessing of John Tomac that he was fine with an e-bike. You know. Yeah, and Johnny can still ride a bike. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt, Jim. It's crazy to me. So when you run into people, like they just want to talk to you about bicycles, right? And all you've done there, I'm guessing. Like, and and to me as a moto fan, as a moto geek. Like, and again, I love bicycles. I'm into them. But what you did as a mechanic and the era that you were in is phenomenal. And it's insane to me that you have this whole legacy in the motocross world of all the things you've done, working with Johnny and all the championships you've won. And then you stop and you go into this bicycle world where you become this titan of a bicycle world and, and sell the company off. And to me, it's like you've had two incredible parts of your life here. Uh you know, and so, yeah, I just, I think it's it's probably gnarly that you don't even get people talking to you about your moto stuff anymore. No, you know, and I, maybe that's a little bit of my own doing because I'm, I've been kind of, um, anybody that really knows me knows that I'm kind of a pretty private person, actually. You know, yeah. I mean, I can get out and socialize and I have great friends and I love people, but when I'm up here on my land and stuff, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in my element. Right. And so I think that, uh. I'm a little bit different than most people were, and I and I see this. I see some people hang on to our motocross history. They just, you know, it's kind yeah, of it yeah. kind of reminds me a little bit of the people that um, that I raced with back in the Indian Dunes Bay Mare days. We're all old now, but they're still racing vintage motorcycles, right? And they they just and they're getting hurt in their older age yeah. racing vintage motorcycles, yeah. and. And they just can't let go of the motocross thing, which is good because we all need something, which is great. For me, I think when I left motocross, I kind of drew the line in the sand and said, I'm yeah. into bicycles now, and I just kind of never looked back. Yeah. But, but my relationships there are everything to me. That, I, that hasn't left. Right, right. I, and I know, like, I'm, I'm glad you did this podcast because I did just have a few people tell me that they didn't think you would do this because you're a private person and, you know, you don't really want to – go out there promoting yourself. So I'm stoked that you did this. And then I, I know from, you know, from, from Lunas and, and, and McCarty and Oliver and John R and, and these guys, Skip and all these guys, like your name still carries a lot of respect in motocross world. People liked being around you. You were a hard worker. You were a gnarly trainer. You and Johnny got along well. You were very competitive. And, and so in the motocross world, you know, when I grew up, you know, I'm not going to date you, but I grew up reading you in, reading about you in these magazines, right? Um, and, and so it's really, really interesting to me that, yeah, you've just had these two amazing careers. And, and people in the motocross world still speak so highly of Jim Felt. So that, that's awesome. Well, what's mm -hmm. funny is that I, and that's very touching, and I'm very blessed to have people feel that way. But, I mean, even now, though, I mean, it's like I'm, I'm looking at my third career right yeah, now where yeah. I'm, I'm all about – starting this outdoor company with my son at the moment, this family business I'm trying to put together at the moment. So we're, we're just slowly chipping away at that, and that's probably the next thing. Somebody will see whether however far we take it is however far we take it. I'm not, I don't have any targets or right. anything like that. Wow. Just, just having fun with my family. I don't doubt it's going to be successful, whatever you want to do. There's no doubt <laughs> we'll about see. that. Yeah, we'll you're see. Pretty it's damn high-end good. cool stuff, I can <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for the time. I kept you longer than I, I said I would. Uh, I really, really appreciate going down memory lane with me and uh, what a life what a career for sure i think people are going to dig this podcast and and i'm going to text johnny as soon as i hang up and, and say that he did it felt did it so <laughs> <laughs> well say hi to everybody for me and no problem steve Will you do. have a good one thanks jim bye uh -huh.